Well, good morning. My name is Heath, and I am on staff here. Uh, it's yeah, good to be with you this morning. Good to be looking at the Ten Commandments. It's a series we're in the middle of. Uh, nearing the end, we are looking at commandment number eight this morning. Uh, so let me go ahead and I'll read the text for us. I'm going to just start in Exodus 20, verse 1, and then read all the way through verse 15. So uh, follow along. It, uh, the full text is up here on, on the screen. And God said all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above there is, or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the, the name of your Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And, on, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Join me as I pray. Well, Father, we come before uh, you right now. We, we come to your word, God, and we ask for you to illuminate the scriptures for us. Would you give us clarity in your word? Would you help us to understand the beauty of the gospel, the truth of your scriptures? And God, may we see Jesus more clearly this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. And also one last note, uh, if you have questions, uh, feel free to text those. My number is there on the screen or to the, uh, the top of page eight. And I'll spend five to seven minutes after the sermon and answer any of those questions. They're all anonymous, so I don't read your name or anything like that. But uh, yeah, text, text a question. Uh, so commandment number eight, you shall not steal. And now if you've ever been uh, a victim of theft, or you know someone who has, you, you know how intensely personal it is for someone to, to take from you something that is yours and for them to, to take it from you. It's, you, feel, you end up feeling personally violated. You want justice to be served. In one of the interviews I watched, uh, a woman was sharing testimony of how she felt and what had, everything that had happened when she was away from her house on vacation and someone came in and burglarized her home. And hearing her testimony, what she was most concerned about, it wasn't the items that she had purchased with her own money. She was obviously concerned about that, but she wasn't most concerned about those items. She was most concerned with the irreplaceable items, the items that have 
sentimental value. It was her mom's engagement ring. It was her granddad's watch chain. It was the items that told a story that she was most concerned about, that she grieved the most over. These items that symbolized a a dear family member or a friend. And she went on to say this in the interview, and I thought this was just very, very profound. She said, the most difficult bit was the feeling that they took a chunk of my identity. The most difficult bit was, they, was the feeling that they took a chunk of my identity. People associated me with that jewelry. It was part of who I was. They probably didn't make much money on the ring and the watch, but the impact they had on me, it was profound. It's not the material value I was concerned with. The, the jewelry, it represented important people and their stories. And I would have loved to hand it down to my children, but now I'm unable to do so. And stealing, it's, like I said, it's intensely personal. And the fact that it's so personal, it tells us something about our humanity. It tells us something about the world in which we inhabit. It tells us that, that nothing exists that does not belong to someone. It tells us that everything in all that exists has an owner. It has a rightful owner. And God, he built the world like this. And and we'll discuss this a little bit more uh, in in just a few few minutes. But God, he built the world like this. But now, I want to ask, why do we steal? Why do we feel the need to steal? Why did that thief break and break into that woman's home and and take from her what wasn't his why why did we feel the need to steal and what is it about this world that that makes us feel like we need to steal what is it about the world that we live in that makes it makes us feel like we must we must take from someone something that isn't ours and while there's obviously no shortage of of reason why you know, people steal. Sin is, is, is irrational. And it's difficult to explain all the reasons why someone would steal. But partly, I believe, it's, it's due to the, the waters that we swim in in our culture. It, part of the culture that rewards us for doing whatever it takes to get ahead. That we live in a culture that tells us that the ends justify the means. That the outcome is so important that we can almost disregard how we get to that good outcome. That this is the narratives that, we, that are told to us. This is the culture that we live in. And then internally, our, our longings and our desires are just in, in complete disarray. We, we want what we don't have. We, we covet things that aren't ours. We, we feel insecure, so we, so we steal. We have this vision of, of what the good life is. And then we look at our own lives and reality sinks in and we just feel so insecure. What we don't have, it, it, it causes us to feel insecure. And this insecurity, it, it follows us around like a, a pebble in our shoe. With each step that we take, we're reminded of what we don't have. There's, of course, any number of reasons why, why someone would, would steal. Our, our culture can point us to this. And then eternally, in, internally, we, we covet. We, we want what's not ours. And there's going to be more on coveting in the 10th commandment. I can't say too much about that now because then James won't have a sermon in a few weeks. But, but internally, this is kind of what is going on. So these are some of the reasons why 
I think that we, we steal, why we feel inclined to steal. But what is stealing, right? It's another question I, I want to ask and then to answer. And this may seem right, very, very elementary. And, and part of it really is because the more obvious examples of, of stealing that we see are, are things like stuff that we wouldn't find any disagreement on, right? So stuff like property theft or burglary or, or kidnapping. These are things that we would all kind of come to agreement on that, that examples of stealing. But stealing, more broadly defined, it includes dishonest business practices. It includes price gouging. It includes false advertisement or exaggerating the value of a product. I remember Emily and I saw on Shark Tank the scrub daddy, right? And, and in its sense, it marketed itself, it marketed itself to us in a way that we were like, huh, this is going to make doing dishes really, really fun. Whether or not that was the message, that was like how we interpreted the message, but scrub daddy failed us. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. And if, that, if not, that's okay. But exaggerating the value of a product, saying and claiming that this product is able to do things that it's just not able to do. Time theft, employees stealing from their employers. Plagiarism, the stealing of ideas and claiming that they're your own. Breaking the Eighth Commandment, it includes the the work of, of false teachers as we see in the scriptures. These were folks who claimed to be preaching the gospel, but they were instead proclaiming their own words, not the word of God. And they were doing this blatantly. Stealing, it also includes stealing glory from God, robbing a God of his glory, robbing God of his due, of his, of his credit, of, of the way that he has provided for us. So whether or not we've committed grand theft auto isn't the point. The point is that we are all, we are all thieves in some sense, that, that our heart is bent towards stealing. We, we do whatever it takes to, to get ahead. So we, so we steal, we, we steal to make up for what we don't have. So stealing, whether we're talking about stealing a pocket watch or robbing God of glory, it's, it's something this, that is intensely, intensely personal. And the reason it's so intensely personal is because we just can't separate property rights from human dignity. We can't separate the two. Here's what I mean by that is that the Bible, it talks about property and possessions in such a way that everything that exists has an owner. So when we steal, we are taking a piece of that person from them. And not not only do we take a pocket watch you know, not only did these, these thieves, in the, in the example I shared earlier, not only did these thieves take a pocket watch, but they took the woman's dignity. They, they took the woman's personhood. They, t- they took a piece from her. So fundamentally, stealing, it's sinful because it, it violates the architecture of this world. It, it violates how God set up and established property rights. God affirms throughout the scriptures the right to own property. And anytime we talk about property, the place to begin, the starting point for us is the starting point of this conversation of, is, of course, with, with God. And the, the scriptures are clear in stating that ultimately all property belongs to God. See these verses that I have here up on the screen for us, that the earth, he belongs to the Lord. In Psalm 24, we see this, 
that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. And then James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is is from above coming down from the father of lights. So while all possession and property belongs to God, he does call human beings. He does call you and I to to take dominion over this earth in his name. In other words, you and I are stewards of God. We're given responsibility to care for what God has given to us. So with this idea of, of stewardship that the Bible talks about, it, stewardship has been around since the very, very beginning. In Genesis 1, 28 through 30, we see this. We have it up here on the screen. Uh, Genesis 1, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And one more. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So what we see here is that that all things belong to God. And he gives to us that we may be stewards so that we might enjoy what he's given to us so he gives to us so that we we might enjoy what he's given to us but not only that that it would go further that we would rule over and take ownership over what he has given to us and use it in such a way to care for others so that others would also enjoy and find enjoyment and satisfaction because we are using what god has given to us for them to bless them Stewardship means that we receive so that we might give. We receive from God so that we might give to others. We receive from him so that we might give to others. And, and the only thing really that, is, that enables us to do this is the gospel, is Jesus. The gospel is really the only thing that has the power, the true power to curb our thieving hearts and to make us generous stewards. It's the power of God's grace that, that, that needs to sink in deeply, that, that causes us to not to want to take anymore, but instead gives us new desires to be generous with the things that we have, with our possessions, with our property. This is the work of the gospel in, in our hearts. And hear, hear now what Jesus does. In Luke 23, 32 through 43, uh, we see Luke's account of Jesus's crucifixion. And we have this here. And, and Luke says this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. But there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due of our rewards. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus here in Luke's account, we see that that he's led to his death. He's scorned and he's mocked. Save yourself, they shouted. So not only is Jesus ridiculed and mocked, not only were his bones crushed upon that wooden cross, not only did the, the face of the father turn away from Jesus, but to further the insult of Jesus, to further the insult of Christ, he was crucified between two thieves, a thief on his left and a thief on his right. Jesus died a slow and painful death in between two bandits, two lawbreakers. It's just the, the contempt and the demise of Christ is just piled on as we see here in the crucifixion narrative that Jesus, he was given the penalty of a robber, that he was treated like a thief. Though in verse 41, we saw that though he did nothing wrong, that Jesus was treated as a thief. And Jesus Jesus is is treated as a thief so so that you and I, so that you and I can have an inheritance that doesn't fade. Jesus, he takes what he didn't deserve and he gives to us what we didn't earn. How, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? That that Jesus takes what he didn't deserve and he gives to us what we didn't earn. How crazy is that? Right? Think about that. Who, right, would take a penalty that they don't deserve? And who would give an inheritance to people that they that didn't earn it? I mean, how can you even begin to understand this? How do we explain this? And friends, this is what the Bible calls grace, right? You, you've heard of that acronym, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Second Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin. Listen to that, for our sake, so that we might have an inheritance that doesn't fade. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God, that this is the grace of God, that this is God's posture towards people who are undeserving. To paraphrase D.A. Carson, he, he says this. He says, God doesn't love us because on our own, we're morally attractive. God doesn't love us because on our own, we're morally attractive. We are the people of the halitosis. Our breath stinks. We have, the, we have the bulbous nose, the greasy hair, the disjointed knees. We have the obnoxious personality. Our sins have made us disgustingly ugly. 
But he loves us anyway. He loves us not because we're attractive, but it's because it's God's nature to love. That God loves us anyway. That God takes what is ugly He takes people without a place, people without a name, and he calls them to himself. And he says, you are mine. I'm going to work in you and transform you. This is grace, friends. Grace, it is it is unwarranted. It is God making the first move. Grace, it startles us from our sleepy slumber. It awakens our soul. It straightens our crooked heart. It's the steel in our spine that causes us to walk upright. Grace is plumbing the depths of our depravity, the depths of our thieving hearts, only to fix your eyes on the goodness of Christ, that his virtue is now yours. Grace is amazing. It is sweet. It is sweet like dipping the bread into the cup. Jesus, he takes what he didn't deserve and he gives to us what we didn't earn. This inheritance is Jesus himself, that we get God, that we get Jesus, that we're given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a down payment for what is to come. God, he shows us grace, not because we're attractive, but because it is his nature to love. Before, friends, before we loved God, God first loved us. Before we responded to the gospel, God drew us to himself. And the gospel tells us that we no longer need to steal. Isn't that amazing? That the gospel tells us we, we no longer need to steal. That that need we have to take from others, what isn't ours, that the gospel, it meets that desire. That we no longer need to steal. That we no longer even feel that desire to steal. Sure, it is there, but if we, when we're dwelling on the gospel, when we understand the riches of Christ that we have, it, it curbs any need to steal, any desire that we may have to steal. We possess Christ by the grace of God. And when this reality, when this gospel, the gospel of grace, takes root in our lives, we begin to see stewardship. And this is where I want to land the plane for our application. But when the gospel takes root in our lives, we begin to see stewardship as as the opportunity for us to bless others with our actual physical stuff. Our property and our possessions, we can use them to bless others. If all that we own is ultimately a gift from God, and if Jesus takes what he didn't deserve and gives to us what we didn't earn, then what other reason do we need to live a life of of stewardship? How else can we be compelled to live as stewards, to be people who receive in order that we may give? What other reason do do we need? But instead, you know, we... If we take, and this is the temptation, this is the temptation for all of us, this is the temptation for, for, for me, is to take and to stockpile and to keep and to stack all of our possessions nice and neatly in our house. And when we do that, we, we misunderstand God's grace. We, we, we cheapen God's grace. We devalue his grace. And the more that we look and understand the gospel, the more we will embrace this life of of stewardship. It's the gospel that enables us to to do this. So what does this look like? Well, 
Stewardship means that you use what you already have right in front of you and you use it to bless others. It means that you use what you already have right in front of you to bless others. And even in writing this sermon, I can't help but think of my uh, dear friend, Todd. Uh, Todd, he housed me when I lived in Seattle back in 2011 and 2012. And Todd, he was an amazing cook. I mean, he was so good that, that Todd's cooking became the measuring stick. Anytime we would go out to eat, be like, mm, Todd's is better, you know, or like, mm, should have went to Todd's, you know, we, it just kind of just became the running joke, but it was, and it was sincere because his cooking was fantastic. And I don't know if it was, you know, his, his cooking, or I don't know if it was the, the logs on the fire or the sound of, of Diana Krall, the jazz pianist playing in the background, but Todd's home, it was a place of respite for transplants such as myself. It was this place where people without a place, like such as myself, found a place to belong. And now, of course, you don't have to like Diana Krall. Just say that. Nor do you have to be an excellent chef. Certainly, if you come over to our house for a meal, Emily does the cooking. If it were up to me, I'd get a rotisserie chicken from Costco. But but when we're talking about how do we do this, this steward, how do we do stewardship? What does this look like for us? It means that we use whatever we have right in front of us to bless others. It means that we think through, you probably heard this before, this is so basic, but it's so costly to live out. And we think through stewardship in terms of using our time, our talent, and our treasure if this is a new concept and you don't know where, where to start, start here. Start by thinking through your time, your talent, and your treasure, your time. Who needs our presence this week? Who are the people in our lives that need our present presence this week? Who can we give up an evening for to have over? Who needs us this week? Who haven't we talked to in a while? Right? Who haven't we picked up the phone and called just out of the blue just to say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm thinking of you. And then talent. What, what do you like to do? What are, your, what are your passions? Do you like to cook? Do you like to build things? If so, you're going to have to find a new project because we already have new stairs at the church house. Uh, do you like to teach? Where, where could you serve? How could you serve with your passion and your gift of teaching? Are you creative? Can you design things? Do you like to clean and organize? How can you bring order out of chaos? And then our treasure. How can we be generous with our spending this week? Whose, whose bill could we pay? Who could we, who could we bless? How can we give sacrificially so that others might be a little bit more whole? Might have a little bit more emotional capacity for their week? What does that look like? These are the types of questions that we can ask that help us think through a life of, of stewardship. And well, for me, it's not an engagement ring. It's not a pocket watch that has sentimental value. For me, one of the possessions that carries with it the most significant value is a coffee mug that was given to us from Emily's late grandmother, and inscribed on the side of the coffee mug is in big, bold letters is, is, is her name, her first name, Barbara. And there's nothing magical about this mug. It's not worth anything to anyone outside the family. But when Emily and I use this mug, we can't help but think of Grandma White. 
we can't help but think of the way that she persevered in, in prayer, the way that she was praying for others constantly, the way that she even persevered in the midst of suffering. We can't help but think of the sage-like wisdom that she would impart to us when we visited with her. This mug reminds us of, of her love for Dayton Flyers basketball and how she had season tickets and just loved cheering on the Flyers. And this mug, it tells us that Jesus loved Grandma White and that Grandma White loved Jesus. So when the gospel begins to take root in our lives, we begin to see our possessions, our, our home, our salary, our dining room table as objects that tell a story, the story of God coming to us, the story of grace. Let's pray.